Welcome to the Geek Geek Podcast, where we know who the ultimate Smash Brother is. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beej. It's me. I'm the ultimate Smash Brother. It's Kirby, but today Smash. we're talking about Kirby. Uh-oh. Um, I think canonically... <laughs> canonically isn't he the one that like survives when all of the rest of them get knocked out he's like the last one remaining i'm pretty is he sure really like i'm thinking yeah you may be right because of the floating and him like being able to fly around a lot easier maybe so i think like, i actually don't know in kirby canon he's invincible anyway uh kirby and the forgotten <laughs> land just came out um and and it's it's really cool it's cool so i blasted through it in a weekend but you played the demo so i almost rather start with you and like what are you feeling about it is it the game you're interested in picking up yes and what what's really fun is okay so i got an email about this i forgot this game existed nintendo sent me an email and i was like oh yeah that's really cool and i won't get that right now but i'm gonna i'm gonna get it and it was like download the demo and so i'm like i'm gonna go download this demo because my nephew was coming over that day to spend the night with us and so i had it downloaded and he loves kirby like he has played through uh he plays Kirby Clash all the time, and I can't remember what the other one was, the All-Star, Kirby All-Stars maybe, the All-Star Friends, uh, whatever it was, and a couple others. He played them on the 3DS. Like, he really loves them. And so I made sure to download this, because I knew we didn't have it yet. And so we sat and we played through the demo of it and laughed and laughed and laughed. And I'm like, I love this. I want to go back through the demo alone and, like, explore it, which I haven't been able to, like, explore every nook and cranny or anything. But it's really, really cool and really, really pretty and so i'm like i'm gonna buy this i like i'm not gonna buy it yet but i'm gonna end up buying this uh soon so that i can play it especially since it's a two-player game like you can play multiplayer on uh local uh screen and so uh so jennifer and i could play it and then yesterday i get a message from from our friend adam is like hey i picked up the new kirby game do y'all want to try it y'all want to play it whenever i'm done with it and i'm like yeah yeah, I do. Like that is that is like perfect timing of everything for this one where I don't have to spend the money on it that I'm always hesitant about. Um, and with Jennifer about to uh, quit her job and start freelancing, um, that's even more of a concern uh, for a little while. So it's like, yeah, Adam, I'll take this free game that I want and don't want to pay for and have enjoyed a great deal. Um but yeah, this is why I like physical games, actually, is because yeah. my, my friends and family, like, we trade games like this when one of us buys it, which I know isn't a thing for you and your family. So, right. uh, at least so much in general. Like, I don't think you've even bought a... Have you bought a physical PS5 game? Like, I know this is Switch, but have you bought um, a physical PS5 game at all? No, I, I got the PS5 Digital Edition because I just knew I wasn't going to. Um, but I had... Oh, okay. I had been buying some um physical switch games for a little while because like i would buy it and then i could hand it to my kids and then they could try it out or play Mm -hmm. it or whatever um and then what happened is that my kids are similar to me funny how genetics works um and (laughs) the both of them are now entirely digital they're like i don't want physical games anymore i just want them all accessible on my switch whenever i take it anywhere which is exactly my approach so i shouldn't be surprised but like now Right. If there's a game that all three of us want, we are buying three copies of the game. Um, and <sighs> it's just like, it's okay because I'm also teaching them about money at the same time. This is a tangent, but like they both have allowances now, right? And so they have to learn okay. how to manage their money. And it's like, yeah, if you have the money to buy the game, you can buy the game. If not, you got to wait for it and save up. Um, so yep. it's kind of been a good lesson in that for them as well. But yeah, both of them, they like digital games now. That's how they want all of their games. And I'm like, well, okay, this is where we're at as a family. Um, the flip side and- is that game pass on xbox they have their own xbox accounts that are like child Uh accounts of mine and i figured out how to set up my xbox one 
so that they can get into my game pass for like no additional cost and use all those games oh cool like using their child accounts right so it's like platform by platform it's kind of hit and miss you know nintendo is actually probably the one where we're spending the most money um whereas of course i mean it's nintendo yeah, Xbox has been working. The configuration's a little dumb. I won't go into it here about how you have to set it up. It took a lot of Googling and a lot of trial and error, but it, it works now. Um, and so I just pay for my one Game Pass uh, subscription. And as long as we're not playing the same game at the same time, they can play any of the games on the account on the other Xbox. Mm. That's really awesome. Uh, that's kind of what we've done, like I've mentioned in the past with Jennifer and uh, me playing the Switch at the same time, because you yeah. can use one as a secondary Switch. So when we buy digital, you can play like the same game at the same time, as long as you're on a different user. And um, But digital like that, since I carry the uh, Switch Lite with me as a secondary Switch, yeah. that's why I can't do full digital. Like uh, I'm going to Phoenix for a work retreat uh, in about a month, and I'm going to have to bring physical Switch games with me because you have to have an internet connection to verify you're able to play the game even if you have it downloaded on your secondary machine and i hate nintendo for that like i verified it like i'm logged in like they should be able to to save on that machine yes you have access to this with this user that we have verified a dozen times like when you're online it should have like a you know 36 hour period or something before you have to verify again anything like that would be great but uh that's frustrating for me and one of the reasons uh like when i do travel like i don't always have access to the internet uh Although I guess now I could with a hotspot being much more easily available. But still, it's stupid. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's stupid. I have to find a workaround to play games I bought on a legitimate system. Yeah, but wish... that's why I'm excited to borrow this from Adam. <laughs> cool. Yeah, no, I wish I wish there was better family sharing options. It feels like they'll get their event. Maybe not Nintendo. I'm not going to hold my breath for that. But like I don't, Xbox no. and PlayStation, I wouldn't be surprised if they get better over time. The way that like they move more and more towards like that Netflix subscription model, especially Xbox. Yeah. Just because like if you think about how Netflix or like any of the streaming services are set up, you can pay for one account and you share it with multiple users in the family. Um, it feels like. Uh-huh. There might be something there in the, the short term, long term. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But Kirby, okay, so um, <laughs> I'm glad you like the demo. I'm excited to hear what you think of the full game. For me, um, it's interesting. I land in two places with this one. One, I had like a short, fun weekend with it, and I'm completely done with it. But the other side is right. that like this game is so good for the right settings and the right people. So let me flesh that out a bit um the critical path through each level is super easy for me and it's extremely approachable for other people so it would be great for like new players to 3d platforming um so i have like my parents they're playing more and more video games now that they're both retired and they have time to like play games together which is really fun to see and um seeing which kind of games they latch onto and what they do has been interesting and they've, they've done a ton of animal crossing they're familiar with 3d movement but they haven't really done platformer games and so i've been kind of encouraging them to give this one a try because it's such a like new player friendly 3d platformer um because it's not too hard but it's interesting it's high quality it has that nintendo shine to it it has a lot of fun thinking in it um i feel like this is great and i felt like that with kirby for when like my kids were younger too um they still Mm. really like kirby at the age they're at right now but it was how i got um both my kids into platforming games like kirby was their onboarding point and so even though it's a little bit on like the easy and boring side for me, um, I find that it's great for players who are new to this genre and is perfect for that. Um, that being said, 
those like crit paths are too easy for me but they give a ton of side objectives and a lot of challenges and that's what ended up pulling me through the game and through the levels and that's why i beat the whole game in two days is because when you go into a level um the critical path you only have to like you have to get to the end of the level and that will save three of the waddle dees that's what you're trying to do is save all the waddle dees mm-hmm. in a level um but in most levels there's 10 or 11 waddle dees and all of the rest of them are like hidden or you have to do a special objective or there's something unique about the level and so that's where i was finding most of my fun with the game would be trying to do all of those and Again, it's a skill level thing, right? I've been playing Mario and platformer games since I was four. So, like, it it comes second nature to me. So I would play through a level, and on my first pass through a level, I would almost always get 10 or 11 of those, like, 11 waddledees. Um, Right, of course. So I just played through each level once, and then I beat the game. And it took me a weekend. And like I said, it was really fun for that. But then... um, there are also bonus levels that are really cool and they don't show any of these in the demo so i wanted to tell you about them um it's like as you unlock waddle these in each zone um as you're going through the levels they unlock these like side objectives that are bonus levels that you don't have to do but they are completely themed around one power for kirby and so the whole level is designed with one power in mind and it, it makes it just like focused in a way that makes it super fun so the first couple of them because i don't want to spoil them because they get really interesting and fun but like the first couple there's one where you get the cutter power where you like kind of have a boomerang cutter throwing uh-huh. thing. i love that one i've always loved that one in uh i've always loved that one in kirby games okay um so it's like using that to grab a bunch of different treasure from a distance as you move through the level and that's the whole bonus level is all themed around that and then the the second or the third one you use the bomb power but you use it to like bowl basically so it's like bomb bowling to try to hit a bunch of bricks and stuff and so like that's the kind of thinking in these bonus levels um they end up doing one for like every like mouthful mode that you can get into and for every power in the game and then the upgraded versions of the powers and so those were really fun too so i ended up finishing all of those as well just because they were so fun that that does sound really fun. I like challenges like that. I like it when there's something fun to go through until the moment it becomes frustrating. If they make it where it's not fun to continue, that's when I get get like like okay, I'm done with this. But those kind of things sound really fun, like being able to have levels and challenges based on the powers. Yeah. So I like the game. Um, the other thing is the game overall. It's just like really cute. And like I said, it's approachable. Um, and then the other thing that's new, because, you know, they always try to throw a gimmick in to Nintendo platformers is mouthful mode, which has gotten lots of attention online. <laughs> so I know people have heard about it. Um, but it's basically where like Kirby tries to suck up an object and he can't transform into it because it's too big or yep. whatever. And so it's just like the Kirby wrapped around it. And so the first couple Love ones it. that are in the demo and like in the marketing there's one where he basically becomes a car there's one where mm-hmm. he's wrapped around a cone like a huge oversized construction cone there's one where he becomes a vending machine and you can spit vending machine stuff um so there's other ones in the game too but that was really that was interesting i think it was a good twist and it reminded me a lot or like not a lot it reminded me a little bit of super mario odyssey where you're like taking mm-hmm. over things within the levels yeah and i really i didn't know that that was a thing going in like i said i had kind of forgotten this game existed um even though you know that's a part of the marketing i miss the marketing and whenever you eat that car at the beginning i just laughed and died out laughing when it was just kirby sitting there not able to digest it just on top of the car like a like a car wrap and i'm like that's ridiculous and i'm all in like that was when i got all in on this game like i have to play all of this because that it's so dumb it's great 
Yeah. Um, so I like that aspect a lot. And then the other thing that they added to this game, too, that's a little bit different, is that you can actually... So Kirby's abilities, when he you know, sucks people up and becomes a new power, um, you can upgrade those, too. So not in the middle of a level, okay. but more of like at the meta level between things. You can go back to the Waddle Dee Village, and it'll let you take the resources you've gotten in levels and upgrade the different abilities. And so... Um, they start acting differently and they get more powerful. And so I had just a ton of fun seeing like what they did as those leveled up. Um, I ended up completely falling in love with the firepower, which normally I think it's kind of like whatever. It's fine in a Kirby game. But once you upgrade it, it becomes a volcano firepower and it has like more <laughs> of an arc to it. And it has this like right. burn that's almost like a dot on enemies. Um, and then when you upgrade it at another level, it becomes dragon firepower. And it's like this cool purple looking thing and you also have the ability to like fly with dragon wings further while you're on fire and it's just like it, it's cool seeing yeah. them evolve over time that sounds awesome yeah i think oh i did i saw that in the like little 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 um stinger little teaser that they did when you beat the demo sure i saw that dragon and i was like oh oh you gonna be a dragon i remember now <laughs> and i have to have it like i, I was like and jennifer was like we know you love dragons i'm like i love dragons <laughs> and so it was it was really funny yeah that ended up becoming my favorite power in the game was that dragon fire power but there's so many other ones that are fun to play with too um so that's kind of it like i you know it came out on friday i finished it by end of day on saturday and it was really fun like i blasted through it but i can highly recommend this game to like almost everybody out there yeah i could i could see it especially if you're a nintendo fan this is the kind of platforming game that's like that you sign up for it's it's i'm i'm glad to have a kirby 3d game like this i love the 2d ones but it's fun exploring and flying around as kirby yes exactly um so I knew that this wouldn't be a full topic, so I thought we could do another second main topic because I have more Elden Ring thoughts, and I don't. Right. I recorded two quick hit episodes because our schedules weren't lining up, and I f figured I'd get something out there in the feed for listeners. Um, and I talked about Elden Ring, so when I left it off, right? Um, you know, this is partly for you because I know you don't listen, and partly for if listeners had skipped that episode. But I left off Elden Ring at about twenty hours the last time I talked about it, and I didn't know what I thought about it. It was interesting. It kept pulling me back night after night, but I didn't know if I was actually having fun with it. I was just like yeah. hooked on it and now I'm I've beaten the game I'll, I'll just cut to the chase I won't beat around it I I put 70 hours into this game I completed okay. the whole game I absolutely loved it I think it's my game of the year as of right now oh, um, okay and it's crazy for me to say that because I've never clicked hmm. with a souls game before um right so that being said I have a lot of like other I don't want to call them random thoughts, but kind of interesting thoughts that as I played further into the game, things I ended up finding about it. So it's still a niche game. Like it got so much attention. It's done way better than any other Souls game for FromSoft. Um, but that being said, lots of people still aren't going to like this game because it is challenging. Like it's not an easy game. Um, it's not as brutally difficult as some people make these games sound which was surprising to me okay. but it's hmm. also it's not easy and it's not approachable um and so and I, i'm assuming that with this one there's no difficulty setting either no. kind of like you go into one of the dark souls games and you just play it there's no accessibility mode or anything no not at all um okay. that being said you can always like the main difference between this and other 
like souls games is that in this one you can always like if you hit an area that's too hard if you get a boss that you're stuck on you can just turn around and go somewhere else because it's an open world Mm -hmm. and that that makes the world of difference because like you never open world of difference yes exactly (laughs) but you never have to feel like you're stalled out you can just go i'm gonna go explore a different direction i'm gonna go find another dungeon i'm gonna go find something else in the open world like there looks like there's a blob there on the map i wonder if that's something let's ride that direction and go find out what's over there you know um and so that that made a world of difference to me i loved it um but i think that's one of the things i bought Dark Souls 3 when it was on sale a while back and because I wanted to try it I wanted to really give it a good shot and I see why people can really like that but one of the frustrations that I had was exactly that it's like I understand you bang your head up against the wall and sometimes there are like two paths to get to the same place but it wasn't like I could go try something else for a while while I leveled up or got better at it it was still that same thing right and at some point that becomes not fun uh after that um with with Elden Ring I could definitely see that being a huge point in its favor it's like nope I'm done fighting this dragon I'm gonna go find a minotaur and uh something like that exactly and so that was really fun um but i do think it's still kind of a niche game um you know there's this wave of like 10 out of 10 reviews and i think that's because all of the people that love souls games at all of these media outlets are the ones that get assigned to review this because it's like yeah. oh, you have the context for the series you're our souls guy you're gonna get elden ring and so if you already love this style of game and you're that player of course you're gonna give this a 10 out of 10 um i would love to see and i i know they don't have the staff for this this isn't gonna happen right but in an ideal world you would have those people playing the game and you'd have somebody else at the outlet also playing the game that has never clicked with one of these games before so you can get both of the perspectives in there um and i feel yeah, like that, would that make was sense. that was kind of missed in the hype of the first round of right when this launched and all the reviews came out um so take everything that you see there with like a little bit of a grain of salt but one of the things i ended up finding that i liked a lot was the community discovery aspect of this um especially at launch Mm. because every time i've gone to a souls game in the past it's like it's solved right hypoth you can like look up here's here's the best path here's the best build here are ways to break the game like here's all the secrets and this game hadn't been solved yet. I started playing it on day one. Nobody knew what was going on. So everybody was discovering things together. And mm-hmm. not that I was like b- putting things on the wiki or like, you know, talking with people in the community, but just seeing that around me and not having that resource to default back to, I felt like I was part of that discovery experience. And I really liked that a lot. Okay. Yeah. I could absolutely see that because even when I started three, I was like, I'm not good enough to do this and i went and looked up like class makeup like how you did stuff even the first boss and uh that was when i learned like i can't remember what class it was maybe it was cleric or something like that maybe it was one of the maybe it was priest or whatever it was where i was able to stay at range like i'm much better at range classes than i am melee and that made a world of difference for me but i wouldn't have even realized that i thought they were too squishy but it turns out like i survived 10 times as long and was able to beat stuff once i was able to move into a range class so uh having those resources out there is something i relied on once i banged my head against a wall for too long yeah and i think that that's completely valid too like I kind of want to do a new game plus run of this like in a couple months because 
I, I want to wait until the game is more solved because I want to look up. Tell me what are the most broken builds. Tell me what powers are the most overpowered. Like I want to go use right. those and break the game, right? Um, because I've played through it in the initial discovery phase. But like as I was playing through the game, trying to look up information for this game, it was like rumors and half truths like you would look it up and there would be you know five articles about it because everyone's competing for seo and you would look at them mm-hmm. and they kind of have conflicting information and then you go over to the official um like fan wiki i think it's called fextra or something like that for the souls community okay um and like parts of it would be filled out and then parts of it you'd like click over to a link you're like oh yeah there's the link to the thing i need to know about and you click it and it's just like empty like there's no information there yet yeah um and so that was kind of fun to play just before everything is figured out um so that was one thing the other thing that i landed on what that i really liked about this game um it took me hours and hours to come around to this and this is where like i just i didn't know if i was having fun at 20 hours in and now after 70 Mm -hmm. hours and beating the game I absolutely had fun. I love this game. Um, Part of it is the pattern recognition. And this didn't click for me until I was a lot farther into the game, but it almost reminds me of like the high level philosophy of a, like an NES or super Nintendo game that I played (laughs) as a kid where you're going to die and you're going to die over and over and over again, but you're going to learn those patterns. And eventually you can take this boss apart. Um, yeah. It, it's kind of like what we talked about when Metroid dread came out, right? It's right. just like being will willing to put yourself against the boss over and over and approaching it with like, you're not going to take it out the first try. You're not going to take it out the 10th try, but you'll get it eventually if you just keep at it because you'll learn the patterns. And once I kind of mentally shifted over to that, I'm like, Oh, this is like old school games where like the bosses are really hard. Um, that made that made a big difference for me too. My enjoyment of the game went up a lot. Yeah, I, I bet it would. Like looking at it that way, because we used to do that so much when we were kids. I was talking uh, to Riley about that this week, and it's like I miss being that kind of kid, being a kid, and just having a really crappy game or a really hard game, and just sitting there and playing it no matter what. Like I was just gonna play through it. It was hard. It was stupid. Maybe it played badly, but I had it and I was gonna play through. And uh, like that's kind of the way uh, Souls games are. Yeah, and and, uh, and Elden Ring. Well, and this is also why I've bounced off of every Souls game up until now is because to replay a boss in any of those other games you have to do the entire run up to the boss every single time and i would get really frustrated with that um elden ring is so good about putting um it's it's not a save point and it's not exactly a bonfire point in this game they're called sites of grace but they have one that's like half of that so it, it doesn't give you all the abilities and all the things that you can do at one of those grace points but instead mm-hmm. it's just like a respawn point and they put them right outside of the boss rooms and so you can throw yourself against a boss die and start right outside of it and you can be back into the boss fight in like five or ten seconds and that was it's such a change from the past games but i think it's like one of the key reasons i was able to get into this one finally yeah like that that is entirely valid like that is that's a quality of life change that i don't think in any way diminishes the challenge that they're going for with with the series or the titles yeah no i think so too so i hope they keep doing that going forward because it it was huge for me to have that um the other thing when i was like kind of i finally was getting my head around this game and just like mentally getting to the right place is that this game is funny like instead of being stressed Every time I would die, I learned how to laugh at myself, right? And it's like, 
embrace the fact that you can die in stupid ways and it's hilarious instead of being mad about it not that i ever like throw a controller but you know that kind of mindset where you get so frustrated and so worked up that you're ready to like smash a controller um instead of that like switch over into like that was funny that was hilarious like i can't believe i died right. like that let's see how i'm gonna die next time um and so laughing instead of stressing was the other way that i made it through this whole game um and so there are like there are lots and lots of fun moments there's so much discovery in this game and it's like they made so many unique assets and unique approaches where they'll just use a trick one time and you won't ever see it again in the game and that is like i think that's the one of the other key things for me you know it almost reminded me of um breath of the wild in some ways but more yeah. so where there's like unique things around every corner if you're willing to explore but whereas in breath of the wild your reward ultimately was like a korok seed and you're like okay whatever um yeah I'm like, in, mm -hmm. in this game your reward is always like here's a new spell here's a new weapon here's some armor here's something interesting right um and so some of the fun moments without i won't get into spoilers or like where these fall into the structure but just a couple things to give you like a taste of this um in the first half hour of the game there's a direct you're obviously supposed to go so i turned around and went the other way just to see what would happen um i didn't go very far but i found this like uh ruins area and so i explored it i kind of took out some enemies around there and then there was uh some stairs down into a dungeon so i went down there and i fought through these rats that were really hard because i hadn't leveled up at all um they're not actually hard in hindsight but they were hard at the time <laughs> and and I got to a treasure chest and I was like, oh, my first like treasure chest at the end of a dungeon. Let's see what it is. So I pop open the treasure chest and it teleports me halfway across the map into a super high level zone and it sticks uh. you there. You don't get to respawn back to the old dungeon. You respawn oh. right where it dumped you in the middle of this high level uh, cave. And so then i spent a good 20 or 30 minutes trying to figure out how do i get out of this cave like what what's the way out i can't hurt any of these enemies they all kill me in one hit and eventually it's like oh, okay i know the path i just need to do i need i need to run and dodge and just get myself out of here so i can get to the open world and then i can teleport away um wow and like that was fun like it was fun and it was something i didn't expect and it was challenging um, but in an interesting way, right? It reminded me of like corpse runs in old school MMOs, like that kind of level of challenge. Like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. Like I'm going to keep dying, but I'm going to do it. Um, and so that was one. Another one that I ran into was this boss fight that you go in, there's like a, a ghost looking guy that's coming towards you, attacking you. And the boss at the bottom says spirit caller snail on it. And so I start fighting the guy. I take him out. He dies. And I'm like, yes, got it. And then he, the boss is still going and the health bar hadn't decreased at all. And then the ghost uh -huh. guy shows back up again. And I'm like, wait, what's going on? So while under attack from this ghost, I'm like, okay, hang on. I'm rereading the boss name and it says snail. It's a spirit caller snail. I'm like, oh, this is the spirit that he's calling. Where is this snail? And so there's a snail <laughs> that's hidden in the boss room that you have to go find and defeat. And that's the health bar. You don't have to hit him many times. You just have to find him. Um, oh my it's tricks like that that they play on you but it's so fun because they'll do it one time like they're confident enough to put it once in the game and if you find it you get to have that experience and then other than that it's like they're not gonna uh, you know beat the dead horse uh doing it over and over until it becomes like just another thing you have to deal with and eventually burn out on 
Yeah, and I mean, there's other stuff too. Like, there's uh, a dragon that's in. It's very close to the starting area. It's in uh, like a lake swamp area. And the first couple times I took a swing at it, and I was just like, I have no idea how I'm going to defeat this. And eventually, I realized, oh, I actually have to do this entire fight from horseback. And I had never done a fight from ah. horseback in this game before. And so I had to learn horseback combat to take out this dragon. And once I did, I was so proud of myself. Um, of there's course. A, there's another thing where you're like exploring a forest, and there's um, this little structure in it and you go inside and there's like an elevator which you see plenty of these in the game so you step on the elevator Mm -hmm. and it goes down and it goes down and it keeps going down and the trip from the top like at the main level where you were to the bottom takes like a minute or two and it's an entire other zone down there that has like a sky that's full of stars and all of the enemies all the mobs like everything looks different it's completely different assets it's basically like a different zone of the game just because you walked into this one building and like moments like that kept blowing my mind right um there's most of the dungeons are structured how you'd expect a dungeon to be structured and then i walked into one and the thing was 95 percent traps and physical jumping puzzles and like not combat at all (laughs) it was i was like okay so they're doing different things and then my favorite out of all of the things that happened to me that are these one-offs was there was an area i got to um i I was trying to get to a certain area Uh, i won't go into details around it but i teleported from one spot to another and land in this spot it's obvious i'm supposed to like go across this bridge to the place i'm going but right next to where i spawn in there's some butterflies and they're right on the edge of this cliff and they're shining it's like the normal thing that a developer would do to get your attention as a player right i'm like i'm gonna go okay. go up and like grab these butterflies or are they a resource or like what, what are they drawing my attention to so i walk over to grab the butterflies or just see what's going on as soon as you step close to the butterflies the cliff the cliff crumbles underneath you and you instantly die <laughs> And wow it was just i laughed so hard i don't think i laughed harder at any point in this game um and so all that to say that in hindsight my trajectory with this game is really similar to my experience with the monster hunter series they're both series that i kept trying and it didn't click with me i didn't really understand it and i almost needed a friend or somebody else to like walk me through it and get me into the game but i kept yeah. giving it shot after shot and there's finally a game that clicked with me, and that's this one. So I absolutely loved Elden Ring. Like I said, as of right now, we're only three months into the year, but it's probably my game of the year. Um, it's probably going to be really hard to beat as my game of the year. And I beat a Souls game. Like, I've finally beaten a Souls game, and I can say that. So I'm super proud of that as well. Yeah, you should be, because uh, while there are lots of people who have, it is absolutely a very small portion of people who started them yeah and so i'm curious do you have any interest in this at all or is it just completely not your kind of game this is a game that i will get when it's five dollars okay when whenever i can get it on playstation network for about five bucks i will give it a shot because i know unless it completely grabs me that i will bounce off of it relatively quickly kind of like i did with dark souls 3 like yep. i spent three hours in it maybe and i was like i got my five dollars worth because now i know that i'm not going to enjoy all of this game but i had a good time with it i think that's what's going to happen with uh i think that's what's going to happen with dark soul or uh, with elden ring i was gonna say dark souls ring <laughs> and uh which might as well be but that's that's kind of probably where i fall on it like i'll get it when it's ultra cheap and i have some time to kill 
Cool. Well, yeah, I'm excited about, I mean, I keep hearing it on podcasts and seeing it all over social media. Like it's all over my feed still. I just keep seeing gameplay right. clips of people doing stuff. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited for the end of the year when this comes up in end of the year game debates on everywhere, all the sites, all the videos, right. all that, because those will be interesting conversations, right? I don't feel like it needs to win everyone, right? Uh, I'm not that kind of person. I love everybody having their own opinion of what the game of the year is, but I feel like Elden Ring will be in the running in almost all of those discussions. And so it's going to get a really interesting discussion session once we get near the end of the Mm. year. Yeah, I could absolutely see it because after the newness wears off, see what kind of longevity it has. Exactly. Yep. Um, Cool. That's probably our main topic for the day. Uh, Don't forget, we're part of a network. We have podcasts. We have streamers. We have the Geek to Geek Media blog where we have like reviews of video games, board games, uh, weekly game recommendations, monthly roundups, all of that and more. Uh, We have the Patreon at geek2geekmedia.com slash subscribe if you want to help kick in. Um, What's new with Patreon? Uh, It's a Patreon. It's there. It helps. It helps support uh, paying for everything that we have to do with web costs, that kind of thing. We're still working on uh, getting more content, but it is where you can support uh, support the network. Yep. Awesome. What's new with Weekly Geekery? What have you been up to? Uh, I played a lot of those really dumb Blitz style match three games lately. <laughs> okay. Um, like, like I, I really like Disney Emoji Blitz. Like, I had played it before, and um, I've always enjoyed it, but I'd uninstalled it. Um, Jennifer found a game called Funko Pop Blitz, which is the same thing, but with Funko Pops. And she was playing it for a while, having a good time. And I downloaded it to play with her. And uh, so it's been fun uh, doing that together. And then, uh, but Disney Emoji Blitz, you get to use them on your keyboard. And I'm a sucker for stickers and emoji. And so I've been playing it a lot more uh, lately, just enjoying it, having a good time running through my lives. Like it's, uh, it's been a good palate cleanser with work being kind of stressful lately. Uh, um, so that's been like the majority of gaming I've done is really stupid little match three games. Yeah, sure. Um, but but they're they're fun, and I actually feel like I'm getting th- something from at least the Disney one where I use these emojis in conversations uh, and things like that. So it's been it's been a lot of fun unlocking stuff like that. Um, Mario Tennis is on like the other weekend. I told you that uh, Riley spent the night with us. And one of the things that I did was I downloaded the Nintendo 64 part of Nintendo online. Uh, Finally, I hadn't done it before and found that Mario Tennis was on there. Well, I love Mario Tennis and uh, opened it up and we started playing and he really liked it. Uh, He's 11 and never been uh, exposed to a tennis game or tennis or anything. And, uh, Jennifer was like, we should go play tennis uh, sometime uh, in person. I think you might like it, too. And he was like, well, let's go right now. And uh, we have tennis courts just down the street from us. So we we got ready and introduced him to tennis, and he really liked it. Uh, He wants to get his own racket and everything and play. He said, we should play this every weekend. And, uh, like, he is not an athletic kid at all like he does not like sports or being sweaty or like moving around very much at all but he really enjoyed tennis and so it's kind of like i always said that if i'd found it early that i might have actually enjoyed a sport and played one uh more and uh so it was really neat watching him go from losing the ball in the woods and hitting it straight over these high fences multiple times to being able to at least keep it in bounds sometimes uh like it was a lot of fun that's really uh, cool. i look forward to playing again and i think next time uh we do it i'm gonna we have three rackets just 
of hours and uh i'm gonna go buy him his own racket that he can have uh for the next time so he can take it home do whatever he wants to with it and uh so that's a lot of fun i look forward to doing that and i watched the emperor's new groove for the first time for the first time uh, you've never seen for that the one? first time Never saw it. Uh, seen little bits and pieces of it. Never cared anything to see it. But I decided the other day, I was like, I want to watch this. And Kronk is by far the best part about this movie. Well, I, yes, nobody, nobody will fight you on that. That is no, absolutely no one true. will. Like he is absolutely deserving of his mo- his own movie afterward. And I can't wait to watch Kronk's new groove. Um, what I didn't realize was just how dated some of the humor is in it, and how I'm amazed that it came through uh, in a Disney movie because it's uh, it's like the king is go or the emperor is going through uh, like this line of women trying to pick them out and. And like insulting them because of their looks and he looks at one at the end is like oh and i bet you say you have a good personality too and i'm like oh disney what the and then it's like making fun of uh yzma a bunch because of how old she is and all the wrinkles that she has around her eyes and i'm like this would not fly today like this movie would not be able to do this like that is oof so it was uh it was interesting looking back at emperor's new groove from a modern perspective from not having ever seen it when I was younger when it came out. Cool. Yeah, that's interesting um, to get like the perspective from today instead of back then. Yeah, but Kronk is awesome. Like Kronk Kronk is delightful and I just love Patrick Warburton and anything he's in. I told uh Jennifer that I don't want to know anything about Patrick Warburton as a person. That I don't want anything to sully me just loving him and everything he's in. <laughs> okay. Like I don't want to know his politics. I don't want to know his uh, what's going on in his personal life, anything at all. Like some celebrities, I want to be a complete, uh, you know, behind a blackout curtain because Patrick Warburton is a treasure and I'm going to keep it that way. And I started reading more like I've started uh, reading, wanting to read something like of substance lately. Um, You talking about the uh, the books that you read at the end of the year really got me thinking about it. And I picked up uh, a while back. I can't remember if I talked about it here on the podcast, a book called uh, A Cosmology of Monsters. Um, Did I tell you about that one? Um, I I think you might have, but not on the podcast. But not on the podcast. It's a it's a horror novel. But it is a literary horror novel where it's it's done in a way that it's not like a uh, scare you to death with uh, like Stephen King, like popular horror. Sure. This is uh, very well written based in and Stephen King's is very well written. Don't let me say that. I love Stephen King. Um, this one is written in a way that it's just a level higher, more literary like that. He actually got Stephen King. Sean Hamill is the author. Uh, he lives in Alabama. Emma and Jennifer uh, got a did a program with him and got a signed book uh, for this and uh like I, and he, he's a he's a he got a, a blurb from uh Stephen King on it and it said uh uh that this is uh horror about literary horror by way of John Irving and I'm like yeah it is it's like that kind of like family personal story that has only like secondary and tertiary things to do with the horror part of it like it's it's great the ending is fantastic like i cannot recommend uh cosmology of monsters nearly enough um i was put off by its title for a while but it works perfectly for the book itself like it is not a hokey book at all um 
which led me into reading uh, QT84 by by Haruki Murakami. It okay. is uh, it's one Q84. People uh, may have seen that on the shelf. You may have seen that around one called one Q84. Um, it is this. It's a sci-fi novel that is set in 1984. It's kind of working on the. Uh, basis of 1984 and this weird dystopia and thought policing and things like that but it's called QT84 because apparently Haruki Murakami did a it's a it's a pun because Q is the letter is the number nine in Japanese so 1984 1Q84 when you say it it's uh it's a pun Okay. And I'm like, that is a deep cut pun, man. Yeah. And I appreciate it. Like that is, that is a different, that is a, a, that's a literary pun that you have to look up. Like why in the world it's called this. And then it's like, man, I appreciate you as a human being for doing that. And your editors for doing everything. And like, it fits in with the story and all of it. It's, it's, it's fantastic. And it is so well written and i already loved his writing from what i talk about when i talk about running and this is absolutely literature in uh what it is in in writing it is not fluff in any shape form or fashion and i truly love this book um it's something that is challenging to read and it's challenging in terms of ideas but it's also it's still magical realism sci-fi fantasy where it's not like out there uh futurism or anything like it's magical realism and i love it i can't recommend it enough and uh, especially because of the pun title like i never knew how to say it and then when i look it up i'm like dang murakami you're you're a boss for that like I, I I approve and I love it and I think that everyone should read it. Like it is, it is really good. I haven't finished it yet because it's like eleven hundred pages, but it made me buy a physical copy of the book. Like I read a physical copy of Cosmology of Monsters and I bought a physical copy of QT eighty four just uh, because it feels so nice to read a physical book in my hands. Cool. I'm glad you're getting back into it's, reading. That's good. Yeah, it, it's nice. Like, I have my Kindle Paperwhite that I've swapped to instead of my phone, too, because it still feels better than being on my phone later at night. Um, but, yeah, so I'm reading again, so that makes me happy. Nice. Um, yeah, for me this week, I mean, obviously, I was playing video games. Uh, but outside of that, the I'll jump in here with a book, too, that I've been sitting on. It's been in my geekery for a while, but now is a good chance to jump in here with it. It's called Iron Widow, and... I've read, I don't know how many books I've read this year, probably 18 or 20, somewhere in that range. This is the first one that I feel like is good enough that I wanted to call it out on the podcast. So just to let people oh, wow. know, right? Like I'm reading things in the background. A lot of it is audiobooks that I'm listening to as I'm playing games and doing other things. Um, but Iron Widow was really good. I liked it a lot. It's probably my favorite book of the year so far. Um, it is about giant mechs in an alternate reality. And um, it's inspired by Asian cultures. You can definitely tell that as you read the book. But it's giant mechs fighting kind of like monster alien things. There's a sci-fi level where you don't exactly know what's going on. And by the end of the book, it kind of leaves it open enough that you can tell this could become a duology or a trilogy or whatever they end up wanting to do right. with it. Yeah. But that being said, it's still enough of an isolated story that it just stands on its own. So if they don't do anything else with it, it's also okay. Um, so it doesn't like leave anything really laying or, or like hanging over um, except for those like meta level threads um yeah but the well i shouldn't say exactly but anyway like it's it's a good story on its own um but the mechs have two pilots uh, per mech and 
the whole story is about like gender dynamics in a really interesting mm. way and it's where like two pilots per mech one is a male one's a female and um the females end up dying a lot of the time and so like as you go through the book and uncover what's going on there it's like how much of that is due to the way society is set up how much of it is due to the way the technology is structured how do you push back on that system when that system has been established for so long and so like that's yeah. the character level plot that's really fascinating um but all also, yeah. you get giant stompy mechs fighting aliens along the way. Um, Which is awesome. Yeah. yeah. And so both were good. Like both that character level, the societal level story that they're telling, the gender dynamics, the the mechs, like all of it worked for me. So I absolutely love this book. Um, I would easily recommend it as probably my top running book of the year as of right now. That is awesome. That sounds really great because as much as I love things like Pacific Rim, I love big robot stuff. Like that sounds like something I ought to check out whenever I get a chance to uh to to really dig in on something like that again oh no i was gonna ask who it's by uh did they have they written anything else that i would know yeah the author for it is and i don't know how to pronounce her name um it's zirin J Zhao, i think is it uh that's my best try at it but i haven't oh, read any of her okay. stuff before and this definitely is going to make me go look up the other things that she's written because i would love to read more from her going forward this looks awesome like it's I'm, really good. I'm, I'm putting it in my on one of my wish lists right now, so I remember. Perfect. Um, and then the other thing that uh, I ended up watching with my family uh, was I watched Turning Red that just came out on Disney Plus. Um, it's a Pixar movie. Have you seen anything about it? Yeah, oh, it's good. I it's, love Turning Red. It's really good. Uh, so I liked it a lot. We watched it as a family. Um, but yeah, what did you think of it? I thought it was fantastic. Jennifer and I have talked a lot. We we watch stuff like that as as a as a couple and as a family. And we have talked a lot about how when she was a teenager, we talk a lot about being a teenager is hard. Yeah. And a lot of teenagers are jerks. And you have to give them a little bit of grace because being a teenager is hard. And it it stinks and it's hard and you just feel everything and everything is changing and anybody who's listening to this who has been a teenager it has, understands that it sucks and that teenagers are going to be jerks because they're jerks and you just have to love them for it and that's kind of where turning red is like we've talked a bunch about how when she was younger like i don't have the the being a teenage girl perspective but uh and i was never like super angry at my parents or anything that wasn't my experience with uh growing up in adolescence but hers was like she got to a point where she was so mad at her mom all the time and it's something that uh she really saw in this movie like yeah that's how i felt like anything would set me off and just like it was it was really great watching it with somebody who could really really uh relate to that the specific things that they were working on uh, and talking about, you know, not turning into a giant red panda, but the metaphors and everything going with it. Like I, I thought the movie was fantastic and I cannot wait to watch it again. Yeah. And I mean, not only that, it also hit on a bunch of cultural things that were interesting. Uh -huh. You know, the main character is, um, she's like, I think she's 13 if I'm remembering right. Mm -hmm. I but think it's third. She's 13. Yeah. She's either second or third generation immigrant. Um, and so it's mm -hmm. set in Canada and the, like either her parents or her grandparents immigrated from China. You can tell. And, it's yep. it's really interesting like cultural pieces in there alongside the mother-daughter relationship alongside just a lot of the teenage things going on and so 
we watch it as a family and my daughter is in like full preteen mode right now and so this <laughs> yeah. this actually gave us like a lot of good talking points and a lot of good discussion oh, as a family after the movie you know through the lens of the movie like we didn't have to make it into a big thing it wasn't a big you know a huge moment but it was just like it was a nice touch base as a family to talk that through and talk about like what's realistic like you know like what are the hormones doing here like what's going on with these teenagers <laughs> yeah. type of thing um and then like like I think we're both hinting at, it's just a really good Pixar movie too. We didn't even talk about it the is. fact that the main character turns into a giant red panda. Like, but it does, and that's that's part of the whole story as well. Um, and I like that part too. Like the magical realism of like giant red pandas mm-hmm. are just a thing that happens in this universe, and that's and cool that people too. accept it like that's my thing about magical realism in general is that there's not an explanation for it outside of just it whatever explanation there is within the world and like you don't dig deep and it's just part of an everyday part of the thing and it's not really focused on and that's what i loved about it's like yep this family turns into giant red pandas at at puberty all the women do and it's like okay cool that's that's what happens and like i love it like I I did not think that the trailers looked very good for this, but the movie is one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. There is a behind the scenes turning red featurette on Disney Plus that goes in with the uh, team and the director of uh, Turning Red. It was made by a, an all female uh, led uh, production team, and it is absolutely wonderful to watch that uh if you like the movie watching the behind the scenes featurette it's about 45 minutes long is definitely worth it that if uh, you and your family haven't seen it uh or anybody listening if you had haven't seen it it's it's great it made me want to watch the movie again even more and i just haven't like had time to sit down and do it uh because jennifer was wanting to watch it with me like it's it's awesome. Watch the watch the featurette. I'm not usually one to watch a lot of the featurettes for just anything, and we caught this one, and it's great. No, I like a good behind-the-scenes making of type thing. I didn't even know that was there, so I got to go back and check yeah, that out. It's, it's real. It's one of the best ones they've had on on Disney Plus of the ones I've seen. The Star Wars ones are great, and this one is really, really great. Awesome. Um, okay, I was going to talk about Mario Kart Eight Deluxe, but I feel like I want to wait for more courses to come out. I know you had some reactions to that too. I'm going to save that because. I've decided I'm clearing out some of the older things on my geekery list that have been mm-hmm. sitting here for like a month or two. I want to talk about Book of Boba Fett because I want to get it off my list so I can stop having it yeah. here every time we record. It's have you did you watch the full thing? As I guess we're yeah we need yeah to start. yeah absolutely okay. So the place I landed with it is that I didn't really like the first four episodes. They didn't do a whole lot for me. And then episode nope. five, it basically just turned into the Mandalorian for mm-hmm. two episodes. And then almost through the end of it too, the Mandalorian was such a key part of it. So it's like from episode five onward, the book of Boba Fett is essentially the Mandalorian season like 2.5. And every time yeah. that the story was around the Mandalorian and Grogu and everything going on with them, I was loving it. Every time it was about Boba Fett, I was kind of bored. <laughs> and that's where I landed with it. But it made me so more... It, it it did give me excitement for the next season of The Mandalorian. And it also made me hope that we never have to go back and revisit Boba Fett. And I'm, a, I'm very close to that, but I take a slight turn. Like, I look forward to the next season of Boba Fett if we get one. Not... Because I'm exactly the same way. The first four episodes were fine. Sometimes I forgot they came out during the week, which is kind of a sign on uh, Jennifer would be like, oh, yeah, there's Boba Fett. I'm like, oh, yeah, there is in there. And uh, 
like when the Mandal when it turned into the Mandalorian, it became really, really good. And so I feel like the Mandalorian, uh, well, the, uh, excuse me, the Boba Fett team knew that the first four episodes were a little weak, kind of like the Amazon did with the Wheel of Time by launching with three episodes where they knew the pilot was going to make people never watch it again. And so I feel like them introducing the Mandalorian mid-season uh kind of shows where they know their audience is coming from where the audience would have gotten like fed up with it and stopped watching and but i also look forward to now that they've established how this is going to work in boba fett i think without the the origin story that they felt necessary to tell uh to humanize him and make him less of a bad guy which i I still don't like like i have a lot of feelings about uh the way that they've handled and softening him up in his old age um I look forward to them exploring more in season two of the things that were good about this season. And Mandalorian season three is going to be phenomenal because of the things that they led up to. Um, like I'm very excited for, for it. Like the stuff they did with, with Dinjar and Dinjar and, and the, the, you know, the way that they've characterized him. I think they did perfectly in Boba Fett. <laughs> Yeah, well, and like I'm also very glad that they're not having Luke anymore in it. <laughs> yeah, uh, he. Who knows what's going to happen with him? They're doing weird stuff. That's a whole other conversation that we probably don't have time for right now. But I will say that, like, for the book of Boba Fett specifically, I think it's the origin story that really put me off of the season. Um, yeah, it could have just started with episode five. And honestly, if I rewatch this, I'm going to rewatch it as part of a Mandalorian rewatch. And I'm going to just start with episode five and watch through the end of the season. And so if you're somebody who like didn't like the start of Book of Boba Fett or you bounce off because you're like, this isn't what I'm looking for. um, But if you like the Mandalorian, you can start at episode five of this season and go to the end of the season and you really don't miss anything. All you miss is a bunch of Boba Fett kind of flailing around trying to find himself, which is, I guess it's lore that's established now so people can pull from it. So it's not horrible, but it just didn't work for me. Um, All of this stuff, once the story finally got going at episode five, then I was in and I was invested. Um, So I would say that too. Like if it didn't work for you after the first episode or two, um, just jump ahead to five and you'll probably like it. Yeah, um, it's very much a slow burn that you may not ever get into if you didn't know that the that the Mandalorian part comes in and you liked that show. Um, I think that two of the best parts of this show have still been Timothy Oliphant as uh, Cobb Vanth. He is awesome and needs to be a regular in basically everything of star wars like i love i just love timothy oliphant to begin with but i also love what they did with that character and then i think that them introducing cad bane from the clone wars animated series was great and having the same voice actor for him i loved having cad bane in the series that that was one of those highlights to me that i'd forgotten reading had read about that they were doing and so when it happened i was like oh my goodness i see his hat and uh it was it was a delight for me to see so i'm i like stuff like that being introduced and i've seen people complain about the way his colors looked like the blue was off from the animated series and everything i'm like it's been 40 years y'all even if you got blue skin it's gonna change it was like does your skin look the same as it did 40 years ago no his wouldn't either so like it's like it's i like how they do things in this and i feel like it was a conscious choice uh to make it like that um 
I like that too. And Which all I... of it happened after episode five. Yep. All yep. of it did. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, all the cool things that I'm, if they do make uh, a season two of it and if it ends up being good, it'll be based on the stuff that happened after episode season or after episode five, not the stuff before it anyway. So yep. it'll the be only thing that you have to know from season, from episodes one to four is that there's organized crime on Tatooine. Boba Fett uh, is kind of a good guy and he was raised by sand people after he got out of the, uh, after he got out of the Sarlacc pit, like, yeah, we didn't need four didn't hours need four worth of there. spoiler there. Yeah, <laughs> um, like I got what 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 was it? Six seconds. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot more to it, but I actually got bored during those flashback sequences. Yeah. Um, also, from the beginning, I would like also also like to say that I know people were complaining about his uh, like gang of neon speeder bike punks uh, that he that he recruited, but from the very beginning, the very first episode, it had some of the slowest chases in Star Wars. Robert oh Rodriguez does not that. know how to do any kind of chase, and he needs to just stop and let someone else do it um and i like robert rodriguez like he makes good chase movies he makes good stuff um but he does not know how to do it in star wars and it didn't have to do with the uh, multicolored vespa kids it had to do with the direction because it happened in episode one of the series that it's, yeah. it's just always been and the fights too like they he did not know how to get an interesting fight going with it which is just strange given who the director is Yep. Um, so anyway, that one's been bugging me because it's been on our list for such a long time. So I'm glad we talked it through. Uh, there's other yep. things to dig into later, but they're more recent. So we'll save them for another day. It's um, a show you should see that's kind of good sometimes. Yeah, there you go. Rousing endorsement. Um, you guys can write to us with comments, <laughs> suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. We also have great discussions on Slack and Discord. You can go to geek2geekmedia.com for invite links. And while you're there, make sure to check out all the other content on the network like blogs and video game reviews and our patreon account i blog at agreenmushroom.com and i'm actually blogging there again for the first time in a while so there's stuff there Ooh, you can find me at fancy. grn mushroom that's green mushroom without the ease on twitter i'm also on the disney forever podcast where we watch and react to a different disney movie every week and i'm on twitter is at professor beach that's beach with two e's and i also co-host the dragon quest fm podcast a show about the square enix rpg series we've been void and beach with your geek to geek podcast that'll do it for this week see you next week geeks Bye, best friends. When toxic culture has you down. When you're just looking to laugh and have fun. Kick back and enjoy watching a video game. Or just make some new friends. It's time to visit the Geek2Geek Media Network. A community of podcasters, streamers, and bloggers. Well, more of a family than a community. All dedicated to geeking out about the things we love. Things like... Video games. Star Wars. Comics. Movies. K-pop. Disney Plus. Keanu. Keanu Reeves. New. Or whatever our community decides is the next best thing. That's right. We have a great online community on Slack and Discord where we chat about our weekly geekery with listeners and viewers. And each other. Yep, and each other in real time. And we can't wait for you to join us. So come check us out at geek2geekmedia.com. And escape toxic fandom for something much more... Keanu? Yes, Keanu.